Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We are on to episode 27 of Window on the West. I'm here. My name is Jonathan. I'm here along with Michael, my co-host in the Carolinas, and Dan, my co-host in California. Hey. Um, I can't think of any other sea states right now because I'm not in one. However, uh, yeah, it's good to have you along. We're, this is now the second half, or the, what, the second third of Baron and Luthien. Uh, and we're going to go one more after this, so that'll be four full episodes on Baron and Luthien. I think we're giving it the, the due it deserves and the amount of time I agree. That we're spending on it. Um, I'm certainly coming across new things. Um, uh, I, really, I think I spent more time looking at um, the song of the, 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 the contest between Sauron and, and Felagund uh, when I read through it this time around and really spent a lot of time kind of reading into it and like what was meant by it. I, I really enjoyed that part. Um, but uh, before we get into that, we're going to have an extended podcast today. We're going we're gonna to go over some questions from our, uh, from our supporters. And we, uh, we're going to look at a few things in that. So I hope you join us there. It's $4 a month. The first month is free. But we're going to look at things like there are simil similarities between the Silmarils and the One Ring. And let's talk about those and how Feanor made the Silmarils and how Sauron made the, the One Ring. And then we're also going to look at, um, since, since Tolkien was a philologist and there are instances where his characters aren't necessarily precise with their words and certain turns of phrase uh, find a more, more import than we might initially think, both in Eowyn saying, like, I am no man, and... Um, uh, where, where, uh, well, like where Sauron is, like in this episode, where he, the greatest wolf that ever lived, but he's not actually the greatest wolf that ever lived. We find out. So anyway, that's that's we're going to kind of dive deep into some of those thoughts there, and um, why maybe Tolkien looked at some of that as a philologist. So I hope you join us there. Go to thewondering.com/patron. It's four dollars a month. First month is free. Or if you can be like one of our supporters, like Adam and Lynn and Chuck, who uh, give us a little bit more, so we can do more of this here uh, at twenty dollars a month. But there are supporters, and we really thank them for that. Um, we have the best supporters. We do. And it, the best supporters in our Discord chat. So uh, join up. You can join us in Discord. Uh, you can ask questions there. We interact with you guys and answer questions and do a, uh, about a monthly video chat when we open up the chat room to everybody. Sorry about that. This, this month we just didn't actually properly promote it to everybody. But anyway, join us there, thewondering.com <laughs> slash patron. So uh, Dan. We're going to start today without all that is gold does not glitter because I think we have a lot to go into. So we're going to start right away with Dan's Big Thought. Uh, I can't get over that intro. It's just so horrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so my big thought this week, uh, I, think, I think we've mentioned this many times on the podcast before, but it seems like for Tolkien, song is woven into everything it's woven into creation itself with the Ina Lindale. um so song is everything song is life um the the spirit of all these creatures that he's made is woven up with song and in this chapter you have like the epic rap battle showdown <laughs> of middle earth between uh finrod and uh sauron 
and they're they're basically going back and forth and it's almost like a, a battle of wills uh through song and uh, something that i've also been thinking about and in this chapter there's, there's other songs too uh baron is always singing and he's trying to focus on the light uh his songs seem to be connected to the stars and to light and luthien is singing and it reminds baron of nightingales and uh, just kind of like the softness of the world the beauty that's in the world so the, the, there's a deep connection for tolkien with 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 song and and kind of like the life-giving aspects of his stories and um yeah, so we, we could probably spend a whole hour just talking about the different songs that are that there are in this chapter. Um, it, it it does it does remind me of some of the other reading I've been doing um, with Lord of the Rings. Like like anytime Tolkien stops and and spends a whole page or two developing a song, I think for him that means this is something that's really important, and I'm going to stop whatever we're doing with the narrative, and we're going to stop, and we're going to think about how important this is. And you notice that in the Bible, too. Um, I was just reading through Judges, and there's uh, Judges chapter 5 is the song of Deborah. And normally I just blow through that chapter because I'm just like, whatever. Why are they singing? Get back to the battles. Get back to the next judge who saves Israel or whatever. But this time I stopped when I read it, and I'm like, there's something about this where, like, for some reason, the Bible's stopping for this whole chapter to do this song. And I'm wondering what what is so special about this moment that we have to stop and sing about it. And it, it made me stop and think. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. There's that famous phrase from the Bible that he who sings prays twice. And there's there's something about song in the human condition um, <clears throat> where harmony, putting words to harmony, adds an element in Tolkien, I agree with you, Dan, it adds the element of life-givingness, it adds the element of power, it adds the element of, of all sorts of, I mean, peace and light, it adds the element of darkness and concealment. It, it, songs have a potency beyond merely the words that we use. So when we put words to song, they gain in power, and Tolkien, I think, is latching onto that really, really firmly. Yeah, it makes me actually think about something I read in Andrew Clavin's book, uh, Truth and Beauty, where uh, art is is sort of like it's the the melding of the 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 importance of the physical and the importance of the spiritual into something that is somehow representative. And a song is kind of like that. It's it's more than just notes, right? It, there there there's something of the soul in it in a beautiful song. Like you can you can have AI create song and like you know, it, it all it all sort of loses itself. But when there is um, the injection of the person in the same way that Feanor injects you know, himself into the Silmarils, right? The, the song becomes more than just notes. It becomes more than just words together in the beauty of the person singing it, of the words that are said of, of the melody or the rhythm, right? There, there's something deeper about it. And I think Tolkien does capture that. I think you're right. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so what's funny, what's funny, I don't know if this is funny or not, but it makes for a, a great, uh, uh, approach to this is that it's the song that they sing about the songs between Sauron and Felagund. So we start the chapter off <laughs> with <clears throat> Felagund and Beren leaving Nargothrond, uh, coming up on the orcs, uh, taking on the shapes of the orcs in a very magical kind of way. I, I accept that. 
today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today, today, Jonathan accepts magic. <laughs> we draw the line at walking on snow, Absolutely. though. Absolutely, yeah. no one can walk on. But snow. see, that's <laughs> I, but see, that's the problem. It's like they can, oh, really? You can grow your hair, but you can't walk on snow. Okay. Uh huh. Okay, I, I I stand completely. <laughs> um. So so they they come up north. They end up going to Tarnifuin, uh, and Sauron is aware of them and sent to waylay them, right? And thus befell, this is where the, the, how, how Tolkien writes it to, to start, thus befell the contest of Sauron and Felagund, which is renowned, and we hear renowned a couple times actually in this part of the chapter. For Felagund strove with Sauron in songs of power, and the power of the king was very great, but Sauron had the mastery, as is told in the Lay of Lathian, and then we get into essentially the song or the, the poem of the Lay of Lathian. Um, and I, I have a few thoughts about this. What did you guys think like about like reading through that lay of Lathian and the, the, the way that he structures it, I found interesting because he moves into the, the idea, right? Talking of a, sort of a, a narrative form of like what they did, like piercing, opening, treachery, revealing, uncovering, betraying. Then suddenly Felgen sat there swaying. Um, but it, it moves into this. That's the first third of it. The second third of it is, is an approach to what Felagund was saying, where he's, he, his songs talk about uh, Valinor, the magic and might he brought of Elvenus into his words. Um, they heard the birds singing afar in Nargothrond, the sighing of the sea beyond, right? This is, in, this is in Felagund's song, the things, the beautiful things that he's bringing up. And then beyond the Western world, on sand, on sand of pearls and elven land. And then it talks, and then it moves into like, this is the next thing is what Sauron in his combative song against Felagund is saying, it's, and, and Tolkien writes, then the gloom gathered, darkness growing, in Valinor the red blood flowing. So Felagund singing beyond the western world on sand, on sand of pearls and elven land, and then Sauron takes it and converts it to in Valinor the red blood flowing beside the sea on the sand, where the Noldor slew the foam riders and stealing drew their white ships and their white sails. So he's reminding him of like, yeah, sure. It was beautiful. It was great. Look at all this wonderful things that you did. And then you killed them all. And then you fled. And then you went over the ice. And now we have your captives in Angband. And so the song goes from like, this is them fighting. This is what Felagun did. And then Sauron gets the mastery because he reminds him that the beauty and uh, the wonder of Alnor was ruined by the Noldor like you. And I, I, that's sort of like, to me, that's like, that's how he wins the battle. It's like, right. It, it is. It's so fascinating, this this song of a song, um, a song of a battle of two songs really is what it is, because I agree with you. It's that's that transition. There are kind of two transition points in the song. There's first. So we're first um, uh, introduced in the song in the first few lines to Sauron's song, a song of wizardry, piercing, opening, treachery, revealing, uncovering, betraying. And then Felagun responds and it almost seems like every time there's a response, he ha- you have to, like, it's almost like there are rules to this song battle. You know, kind of like Eight Mile, the movie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Um, um, so there, there are rules. And the rule is you have to kind of take what was given to you and have a response, which is not a total non sequitur. You have to connect it. So to connect, so connecting Sauron's song of piercing, of opening, um, uh, Felagund or Finrod sings an answer, a power of staying, resisting, secrets kept, strength like a tower, 
trust unbroken freedom. So he's he's matching Sauron's, he's connecting his song to Sauron's song. It's not just like a totally different song, like, no, no, we're disguised, orc, yeah, think yeah. orc thoughts, orc song, orc song, <laughs> yeah, because that's what they're supposed to look like. He's responding to Sauron's song. Mm-hmm. And then and then he in, in, adds, after responding with the, with the, the, the song basically of staying, he then brings in all this beauty and the power of Valinor. And like you said, then Jonathan, Sauron responds to that by using the beauty and power of Valinor to then connect it to the betrayal of the Noldor and remind him of all the terrible things that happened in Valinor ending with the Hell Caruxe. And so it, the, the, the ice, uh, literally a song of ice. <laughs> and some fire. <laughs> and some fire. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and after the fire, the, the song ends and Sauron wins. So Sauron has the better of this song. But the fact that Finrod can actually go toe-to-toe with the greatest um, Maiar to be corrupted by Morgoth for, for, is pretty impressive. Does that say more about Finrod or does that say more about Sauron? Hmm. What do you mean? I mean, I, mean, I, th- I think I know what you mean. Sau- but is, is Sauron as powerful as we really think he is, or it is is it the fear that he injects in people that makes him more powerful? Whereas, whereas is or is Finrod stronger than we might think he is by being able to go toe to toe against Sauron? But I mean, in the same way, you could say Aragorn, in a sense, right? He was able; he was the one able to resist uh, in the Palantir by facing up against Sauron by looking into it and uh, not being brought under the sway of it like Denethor was. Uh, yeah, the difference I, is that that Aragorn had a the Palantir by birthright, so there was an authority he had over it that gave him a, a, a balancing of the scale, okay. so to speak. I, I would I would argue, right. but but um, I was always impressed when I read this passage of about Finrod. But you might be right because Sauron is defeated three times, or no, sorry, he's defeated twice in this in this chapter or this part of the chapter, um, and so it is interesting. Maybe he's not as as cool as as we think he is. I don't have an answer. It was just a thought. <laughs> so I'm curious. Um, what, I think we, I kind of touched on it with the big thought, but I, I, I guess I'm just trying to like ruminate about it. Like, why do you think Tolkien has them duke it out with songs? Like, why are they fighting with songs? Like, wouldn't Sauron just like grab a sword and just start stabbing him? Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, wouldn't he just use brute force to get what he wants or to figure out what's going on? He's trying to like, interrogate them and, and, and figure out who they are and what they're doing. And he's got them imprisoned. Um, why, why wouldn't he just, I know he resorts to letting the, the werewolves start eating some of them. Well, at this um, point, they're not imprisoned. Yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just before him. They've been brought before him. They're not in prison. But I, that doesn't change the fact that it's a good question because mm-hmm. I, I wondered that too when I was first reading this. It's like, why doesn't he just strip away their disguises? Well, it turns out he kind of has to win in the battle of power before he can strip their disguises, right? Because it says, um, and Finrod fell before the throne. Then Sauron stripped from them their disguise and they stood before him naked and afraid. So mm-hmm. so he almost it's almost like the power that Finrod has put forth in cloaking them prevents in some way prevents um, the them from being just, you know, manhandled in that Mm -hmm. regard, or at least in in a way. Um, And I also think maybe it's just Sauron's preference. Like Sauron is a, he's, he, he is a wizard of type. He likes use the use of um, putting forth his power in, in the art that we call magic and in middle earth. And, and so he's he's done it in a variety of ways, and he continues to do it through here. So maybe this is just his preferred method. Maybe this is his sword, Dan. Maybe that's what he prefers to use rather than a sword. 
I think also, like you were saying, like when we talk about Sauron, there's always an adjective to how he treats people. So he put Gorlim cruelly to death. Mm -hmm. It didn't, he just put him to death. He put him cruelly to death. So I think the idea of belittling, of making smaller those around him because he sought to to gather as much power as possible and only by defeating Finrod in in this way would he be able to take his power away from him too. Yeah, bring him low. Yeah, yeah, bring him low. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. You know, the last thing I'll say about this particular um, song is that what this really called back to me too was the the song of creation in the Aina So... In that song, Iluvatar, there's there's all these um, levels in that song, and Iluvatar's themes they call them. And in this third theme, where Iluvatar, where the the children of Iluvatar come in, that's the elves and men. That theme has the ability to rise above evil and discord. So so the the discordant song of of Melkor in that in the Ainulindale is is defeated in a way similar to the way Finrod responds to Sauron's song in this, in this um, passage where he matches it and then builds into something beautiful. And then Sauron comes in again and tries to overtop him. In this case, he succeeds. Um, in the case of the song of creation, Iluvatar, uh, Melkor does not ultimately succeed because Iluvatar takes the handle ultimately. But, but, um, but there is that tendency to sort of, like like crescendos like fighting crescendos in the music one dis one of discord one of um yeah. one of beauty and joy it's like the middle earth version of dueling banjos <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that everybody. sorry mm-hmm. i apologize all right so mm-hmm. so after this here what he does is he throws them into a deep dark pit uh, a deep pit dark and silent and threatened again to slay them cruelly because he put everybody he's cruelly that's his favorite part of and and he's pretty good at cruel because he sends a werewolf to devour them one at a time. That's not very straightforward or efficient. That's just pretty much torture. Cruel. Yeah. Yeah. And fearful, right? Not just cruel, but he's injecting, trying to inject fear right. into every single person in that pit in order to figure out, like, what, what, why was Finrod there? Why was Finrod assailing them? He, he didn't actually know they were on a quest for the Silmarils at this point. No, no, he doesn't. And, and uh, also, a side note 12 is the, is the size of, fellowships in the Silmarillion where nine is the size of fellowships in the Lord of the Rings. We had the 12, um, the oh, group Baron, of Barry band Barry. of the bear hairs band of 12 and now Felagun's band of 12 as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Soon to be two, but yeah. Is there a reason for that that you know of other than? No, no, I just, okay. I'm just, just commenting. Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. I, just... I was a, just noticed. Um, so uh, they're there. The, all but two are, are devoured, we learn. But at this, at this point, we move on into where Luthien is. Or and, Rapunzel, or as Rapunzel. we might know her. I, th- <laughs> I think, honestly, I will say the first time I read this, I, I kind of did a double take, you know, years ago, a couple decades mm-hmm. ago. I was like, wait, what? So mm-hmm. was he really inspired by Rapunzel to, to write this? Is that, is that where it came from? I, see, I think Tolkien doesn't have a problem with that. Like nowadays, you've you've seen it as like people have written whole books about Tolkien wasn't really that original. He took from all these different sources. They have like twenty six different mythologies, and so and, and Tolkien would be fine with that. It'd be like absolutely. So yeah, we have this old tale about a, a princess with a grown hair. You know why we have that tale about a princess with her hair grown real long? Because here's the real source of that tale: 
was Luthien. So he's writing a prehistory. That's what he does, a prehistory fair, historical mm. fairy tale. I, I think for, for those for those of us who consider it like, uh, you know, a little kid's fairy tale, the first time you read it, it comes across as like, huh, I was mm -hmm. not expecting that. Whereas like <laughs> Numenor, you realize, oh, it's kind of the story of Atlantis in a way. It is, um, yeah. But it's a, Atlantis is a great grand story, right, that was written mm. by a uh, Greek uh, who wrote it. Um, anyway. Who, the, it came up in uh, Socrates with Socrates, Socrates and Plato, yeah, 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 yeah. Plato first. That's the first yeah. mention we have. Yes. And so, but, but in this here, it was, it was kind of interesting. So she is, she is put into a high tree that has three trunks that are smooth. She makes her hair grow. She gets a cloak. She, she escapes. And, yeah, uh, I mean, she, I mean, look, look, the, the feminists should be happy with her because she is not a passive victim. She, in fact, grows her hair to use to 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 uh, make her escape. It, her hair isn't a, a mm -hmm. just a random factor of her life, like a tangled or Rapunzel, mm -hmm. um, but is in fact, you know, point. it's it's used. It's it's a tool. She uses her hair in two ways. She grows it long, then she no doubt cuts it because the two ways she uses it requires cutting. So she cuts her hair and then uh, weaves it into a cloak to hide her beauty because of course this is a is it's it's not just um a good thing but it's an unfortunate good thing with luthien is that she's so beautiful that at no one everywhere she goes she cannot help but be noticed so she uh, crafts an a magical cloak right. that hides all of her beauty and then she visibility as it were <laughs> yeah one wonders it's... it is a, it is kind of like invisibility because it's she disappears as a shadow, shadow so right yeah yeah mm. and and then there's um she uses it to weave a rope which it, with a with a sleep spell on the end of it all all um eighth level D, &D wizards will be proud of this moment <laughs> magic users yeah. will be proud of this moment um and she's she has soaked it in melatonin <laughs> right <laughs> 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 and I call this enchantment melatonin. <laughs> oh man! So 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 the story, right? The the better story of Rapunzel, I think, because I, I, it's Tolkien. It has mm -hmm. to be better. But she goes out. She meets Kelgorm and Kurufin, newly our favorite banished, villains. Yeah, newly, newly gone from. Well, actually, no. At this point, they're not gone from Narnia. No, no, no. They haven't been vanished. They're just they... on a hunt, right? They haven't they haven't mm -hmm. been pushed out yet. Yes. And why are they on a hunt? Because wolves. Because they're smart. So wolves have been in the valleys and everywhere around, and they think, and it says explicitly, they think, oh, this is probably a sign that Felagund is out there. This is probably the wolves are after Felagund. So we're going to go wolf hunting to see if we can find news of, of, uh, of Finrod. Wolf hunting. Yeah, that's right. Like, like maybe they'll... Maybe they'll bring home something else or, or yeah. bear, bury something else. And Kelligorm and Kurufin, um haven't learned one of those. It's, it's, it's like the, the classic blunders. It's like, if you're going to, if you, if you decided to be a villain and you're going to go out and do villainous things, don't bring a hound of Arome with you. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't end well for you. I mean, it, yeah. it starts out all right. Cause Juan, the hound of Arome, um it finds um, Luthien and he cannot be fooled by enchantment. Even Luthien's enchantments have no effect on him. So he finds her and carries her or something, leads her back to them. Um, yeah. Probably not by force because she, she appears to think that she's in the, in the um, presence of friendlies once she meets them and sees princes of the Noldor. So, so let's talk about Huan a little bit. And I want to mm. know, because, what, well, a couple things. Huan, is Huan more like a Balrog in a sense that he is a spirit that's inhabiting a beast? 
because he has certain abilities, right? He's, he, he's a beast of Valinor in a way, right? He's a hound of Valinor. So there's something about him that's greater than a, a hound of Beleriand. So that's, that's one thing to ask. But I also want to know, Dan, first time you read this here, since you read it recently, what was your, like, after reading Huan and you're like, wait, wait, he's going to talk three times? Like, what is this about? <laughs> like, how did you respond to that? What did you think about it w w as you were my, yeah. this part? Yeah, my, my initial reaction to this whole story of Baron and Luthien was that he, he it, this doesn't, it doesn't read to me initially like Tolkien. It, it kind of takes me aback because, like, there's all this mm -hmm. magic it's like, like you said, there's this Rapunzel type character. Now there's a dog that talks. Later on, we find out that they weave this magic and they're able to like disguise themselves as like bats and and uh, uh, like a like a wolf, like a werewolf. There's there's werewolves. It, 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 when I got through this chapter, it was like it doesn't seem like Tolkien in some ways. It, it seems too fantastical. Whereas I think before, when I've read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. It seems like there are elements of what, what you might call magic, like obviously Gandalf is a wizard, but it, it seems like he ties everything into like um, kind of like not a natural explanation, but like tied into being being grounded into nature. Like mm -hmm. I think he describes the hobbits as being magical in a sense that they are kind of of the earth. And so they're 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 very um, that they're able to like hide really easily. And so when the big stupid people come walking by, the, the hobbits are able to like scatter and, and be able to hide very easily. So it, it, it doesn't strike me as like this. Um, I don't know, like a, it, this, this of all the things that I've read from Tolkien, this is like the most fairy tale feeling. I would agree 100 percent. I think as we've moved through Silmarillion, we've gotten different kinds of literature in different pieces of the Silmarillion. You have creation story literature in the beginning. Um, you have. Uh, narrative history literature. You have tragedy. Right. You have tragic li um, um, literature where, where you're telling a, t a tale of woe and corruption and fall. Um, you have geography, like a whole right. chapter of ge geographic um, literature, if, if, if you want to call it that. And now what we clearly have here is a fairy story. We have fairy right. tales. This is a fairy tale. And it's a fairy tale combined with Romeo and Juliet. It's a love story with a fairy, with, with full of fairy tales. Mm -hmm. and, um, but woven in, you know, he's already got these tragic heroes and villains in the Noldor and the various Noldor. And I mean, in this story, we have some of the great, the great act of self-sacrifice by Finrod and the great, act of great acts of villainy by the two Noldor, uh, Kelegorm and Kurufin. Are, they're both Noldor. So these are coming from these tragic figures he's told us so much about. But you're right. There's so many elements of just straight up fairy tale in this mm -hmm. in this section. It's very fascinating. Yeah. And maybe that's why I don't like it as much as other stories, because it feels differently fantastical. Right. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't hit me the same way that like the, the story of Turin. I mean, to go from this to like the story of Turin is, is pretty dramatic uh, or, or even right. the fall of Gondolin. Yep. Yep. And it and is. So... It feels to me like he's like this is an earlier version of his world and he almost refines his stories more as he goes on. And his and, and he, his treatment of magic is definitely different. There's no getting away from the fact there's magic everywhere in this. But the treatment of magic is is um, refined is made more subtle mm -hmm. is made more a part of the nature of things right. rather rather than over acts of in he he straight up calls them wizardry and enchantment he, he i mean he, baldly in these yeah. this chapter there however however there's one instance of the use of magic here which he retains and he retains in parallel exactly 
And um, we'll, when we come to it, I'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. He retains in peril exactly in the Lord of the Rings is what I mean. So we'll, when we get there, I'll talk about it. Okay. Well, so she meets, so, so, so moving on then, she meets Kelgorm, Kurufim, they take her back to Nargothrond. They, impris- like under the, uh, under the guise of, of being helpful to her, of, of wanting, they, they, they don't let on that, that they know what quest she is on because she's told them about Baron and, Lut- Baron and, and him going on a right. quest. And so they're completely ignoring uh, or they, they pretend not to understand. But when they get to Nargothrim, they imprison her, they take away her cloak. Uh, and I think this is the line that got to me, because I think last week I, I, we talked a little bit about, like, what, what, are, what, is the, what are the goals of Kelgorm and Karufin? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought about is, like, well, maybe they're, they're there to, to, to gather just as much power as they can to themselves. And I think uh, this is where Tolkien Jonathan wins on this kind of says that. Yeah, I didn't realize that, because, uh, you know, I, it, was, it, was learned, it was remembering by osmosis. I'd read it enough times to just sort of probably not know the exact quote. But this, this line here that Tolkien wrote, um, that Kelgorm and Kurufim did, uh, did not purpose to seek the Silmarils by craft or war. Or, so, so them going on a quest was completely out of their mind. They're like, there's no way we're going to assault Morgoth. Like, you nuts? Mm-hmm. No way. They said, um, or to suffer any others to do so until they had all the might of the elf kingdoms under their hands. So their goal was to gather as much power as they possibly could before assaulting Morgoth and getting the Silmarils. Yes, and in the line before that it says, thus they would advance their power and become the mightiest right. of the princes of the Noldor. So it's straight up a power grab. They're, they're all about the power, even less. Than, and that speaks a little bit to what you were saying last week, Dan, about how they almost seem to sort of, even though they're the only ones that took the direct vow to seek the Silmarils until their death, these princes of the Noldor, they, they seem peculiar, not peculiarly, but they seem rather unaffected by the need to go out and find the Silmarils. And they, they can, they can seek power first, which is what they do. Hmm. Yeah. And they still had all the people like Feanor, right? They were able to sway all the people on, on, in Nargothrond under their, uh, under their auspices, under their hearts, right? The, sway the hearts of the people of Nargothrond. Right. And, it, and we keep, they keep referring in this story, we keep referring to their power over the people, which will soon be broken. And the, and the evil that they do will, um, yeah. will become evident and that even their, their influence will not avail them in that, at that point. But uh, I think we also have here on a side note, a, the first reference, at least that I remember to wolf riders, right? Mm, yes. It says, and this is after uh, Huan, Breaks he breaks from his loyalty to his master Kelgorm. He was not swayed by Kelgorm and Krufins. Correct. Sense. Turns out, turns out your power to sway ha- has uh, no effect on a wolfhound of a Rome. <laughs> um, so he he uh, frees her, and he said, and it says, then he um, then he led her by secret secret ways out of Nargothrond, and they fled north together. And he humbled his pride and suffered her to ride upon him in the fashion of a steed even as the orcs did at times upon great wolves. So, uh, so, so, uh, Huan is given a lot of dignity here. Um, interestingly for all of his similarities to a Narnian animal, um, and no doubt, no doubt that's why one of the reasons that I would be irritable if I was Tolkien and and C.S. Lewis walks in with his (laughs) manuscript of talking dogs, um, Uh, is talking dogs and talking horses and talking, (laughs) talking everything, talking everything. Yeah. You can almost imagine Tolkien like interlineating this point about he only spoke three times in his life. <laughs> He's like, my dog, my dog isn't going to do that. <laughs> but uh, who knows when he wrote that? But but uh, he he really does have a lot of dignity and power. He's he's sort of this 
and he has loyalty to Kelgorm, even after Kelgorm turns out to be a villain. So he has these dog-like qualities still, right? So dogs are always loyal to their masters, even if their masters turn out to be cads. <laughs> and so, to say uh, the least, <laughs> yeah. And in this, but in this case, he obviously has a mind of his own as well, and keeps uh, keeps saving them. So he and uh, takes um, he takes uh, Luthien to the Isle, and that's and thus begins another series of songs of battle. Um, Not before, though, Finrod is slain uh, <laughs> by the werewolf that has slain the, the 11 others. I love that Tolkien writes, he slew it with his hands and, and teeth. teeth. Yes. It was like... <laughs> He was not. He, he was not fighting nice. No. He, he, well, I mean, he had no. He had nothing. You have your yeah. teeth. Turns out, elven teeth are pretty strong. It's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to me that they set off with twelve total, and that that means that they have watched ten of the companions be eaten by werewolves. But when Baron is about to be eaten, he just like rips off his shackles and and just manhandles this werewolf. It's like he, he holds commi- it His commitment to his oath is so much more than even his commitment to his own kin or his own blood, uh, his own people as their king. It's very interesting to me. And you got to imagine, like, if Sauron's going to put people in chains in a dungeon, he's not going to half-ass the job. He's going to, I mean, he's, this is not some campy villain that's going to be easily like, oh, you just, you, you, your chains are too, you know, weak. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the fact that Finrod's able to burst his, his shackles, is uh, it well, it's, I think it says exactly that he put forth his power, right? Yep, mm-hmm. and burst put, his bonds, put forth all his power and burst his bonds. So, so another example of the inward power being able to to break what we would call laws of nature outwardly in that sense, um, mm. in a way that we that men would consider magical. It was his one, his one rep max. <laughs> That's exercise, yeah. <laughs> uh, but 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 Luthien came too late because she was standing on the bridge that led to Sauron's Island, and she sang. She sang a song mm-hmm. that no walls of stone could hinder. Um, and then Baron answered. Uh, a song, right, right. His song is a song of praise Channel. of the uh, sickle of Varda, the seven stars that are that are in yeah. the heavens. And then he and he then he passes out. That was it. So it turns out Baron has the power, uh, has an ability to sing songs of some power anyway, because he can it can be heard from the pits and under underneath, so she can hear him. So, but not much power. He's he's not the uh, he's no. not the song my master. Mm. And so, uh, but uh, Luthien hears him, and it says, but Luthien heard his answering voice, and she sang then a song of greater power. The wolves howled and the isle trembled. So. Her song is making the isle shake. So it's that's the power of an earthquake right. of a so sort. So if we thought, like at this point, if we thought Finrod was strong, <laughs> yeah. right, Luthien mm. comes and the entire island can't stand her. Now, but this doesn't scare Sauron. He smiles because he recognizes this is Luthien. And I can capture her and give her to Morgoth. What a great prize. How, much, how great will my reward be? And so, mm. you know, funny parallel to what happened r- recently where you had 12 captives and one werewolf, and the werewolf slowly eats its way through every captive until finally the last, the second to last captive slays it and is slain by it. This time, Sauron sends werewolf after werewolf one at a time. This one, like a campy villain, like, I know, we'll send one guy. <laughs> and Huon takes him out. All right, we'll send one more. Yeah. <laughs> and down they come, 
and like a like a video game Huan eats them all so uh hmm. and and what's funny to me is Sauron knows it he knows it's Huan because yeah. Because he it's, it references the fact that he knows that Huan is is going to die from a wolf, you know, can be killed by a wolf. So he's like, oh, so this is Huan. So maybe I can become a wolf and take Huan down. But, but he can't because he's not actually a wolf. He's still Sauron. He's just a fake wolf. He's just pretending to put it all on. So he's well. Not so that's the question, though. Now let me ask you: Do you think that I, I think he has the form of a wolf, like he's oh, actually physically a wolf? Yes, but we know that he is not the greatest wolf to have ever lived at that point. Correct. Uh, and the question is, does that, in the same way that Eowyn said, I am no man, is he no wolf? <laughs> so, yeah, we are can you, talk about you, the extended podcast. That's are you trying to say that Sauron is trans? <laughs> <laughs> Look, in that moment, there is no doubt that he identifies as a wolf. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he's not so just what you're saying he's a furry so oh, no. a fu- <laughs> <laughs> okay. he's a furry with teeth oh, oh my, oh, my goodness. goodness this is awesome this, okay yeah so All this right. is this so, is one of those fantastical elements of the story that it, when, when you read it at first glance it hits you like this doesn't seem like tolkien because you have like uh, a person who can shapeshift into all these different things and it that doesn't seem uh you know yeah like what we were talking about the magic doesn't seem rooted to like just nature or or being connected to nature it's like he's able to change nature to what he wants it to be well by yeah that's right well but he's a Maiar, right so so he's he he could still he still has some ability to change his physical form at least he seems to have it to have it now what's weird about that is it says that basically morgoth got locked into his form so one imagines that sauron has to get locked into his form at some point by exerting Mm -hmm. his power as well but it does seem that interesting that that tolkien in lord of the rings has almost is there an instance in lord of the rings i cannot think of one but is there an instance in which there is some effect art magic i'm not talking about the salmon um, Frodo dressing up as it works in orc clothing. I'm talking yeah. about where, where an art of illusion of some kind or enchantment is used so a thing appears to be something different than what it is. I mean, the, the only thing that you have that I would say that approaches that is what the One Ring does, is it turns you invisible. Sure, but what it doesn't, about, what it about the, uh, it doesn't give you a new form, does it? What, what about the cloaks that they get in Lothlorien? Doesn't that kind of turn them semi-invisible? Again, but even, again, but even hides, then, it seems like it's like it, really good camouflage or something. Yeah, it hides them from view. It doesn't, doesn't change it does, their form. doesn't change their right. form. And what we have here is a just a plethora of form changes. Like yeah. Sauron has an illusion with Gorlim the Unhappy that he that he crafts to, to mm-hmm. fool Gorlim. And then you have I mean, people changing their form all over the place in this story, like six or seven times. Through illusion, like Finrod changes, he has some kind of power. It's ma- it's magic. It's not like here. I, I bought ten pounds of face paint with me. Now we all look like orcs. Um, yeah. it, it, I actually, went to the Halloween store and brought some makeup. Right. Like yeah, prosthetics. Would you believe yeah. rubber? I know you've never heard yeah. of it. But sure. <laughs> <laughs> but so so there's so so there's yeah. clearly so, Tolkien clearly um, refines his use of magic from from um, this tale to lord of the rings but but there's one place it is not and this is the place we've reached it so well almost so sauron comes out 
And at first he cows who on for a second, because he comes with great dread. And to speak to your earlier point, um, Jonathan, yes, I think so much of the power of Sauron is in fear. Like we see that all throughout Lord of the Rings, but also here. And he has the power to cow who on for a second. And, and, and he leaps upon Luthien. Luthien basically is, um, faints, I think, basically. Um, she said, uh, even as came, she cast a fold. She swooned before the menace of the fell spirit in his eyes and the foul vapor of his breath. And even as he came, but even as she came falling, she cast a fold of her dark cloak before his eyes and he stumbled for a fleeting drowsiness came upon him. Then Huan sprang. So Huan recovers, comes at him, and there's this great battle now between Wolf and I'm, and I'm quoting Wolf Sauron is the name of <laughs> There befell Sauron. the battle of Huan and Wolf Sauron. <laughs> hmm. So so it's not just anime that can just hyphenate yeah. things to, to make them the name of a character. So, And Sauron didn't just stay as a wolf. Right? We were talking about this. He changes from a wolf to, to a, a serpent, serpent and probably and from monster to his own accustomed form. But he could not elude the grip of Huan without entirely without forsaking his body utterly. And I love right. that that he that Luthien comes up to him kind of I feel like she kind of walks up to him, just kind of looks at him, and goes. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so you have a choice now to make. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and I love how she's like, you want to go back to Morgoth and like endure his scorn and wrath for forever. Eternity? In other words, she tells him that she can actually strip him of yes. his body permanently, mm. which that's power right there. And so Sauron and she says, do that yield, yield to me this entire tower and this island, or this is what's going to happen to you. So Sauron yields. And, and here's where I was talking about. And Luthien took mastery of the isle and all that was there and Huon released him that's Sauron and immediately he took the form of a vampire great as a dark cloud across cloud across the moon and he fled dripping blood from his throat upon the trees and came to tower new fooing and dwelt there filling with horror so he's what's interesting there is too to, Tolkien is directly referencing the early bohemian legends about vampires which is not that they 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 actually had blood bleeding from their they the reason they had to drink blood all the time they would feed, wanted blood was because they were continually losing it from their throat so mm. they had to they had to drink blood oh um, really yeah huh. interesting so anyway um that now the part that i was going to reference then luthien stood upon the bridge and declared her power and the spell was loosed that bound stone to stone and the gates were thrown down and the walls opened and the pits laid bare and many thralls and captives came forth in wonder and dismay shielding their eyes against the pale moonlight for they had lain long in the darkness of sauron that passage if you now go to the appendices which i did not bring up before me and i should have but if you go to the appendices and you read the description of galadriel throwing down the walls of dol guldur and laying the pits bare there's there's a direct parallel there so so here's the power of and so i have to imagine although he doesn't say it in the appendices to be consistent and tolkien was generally consistent i i got have to imagine that he thought of galadriel singing a song of power and mm -hmm. and bringing down bringing down the walls of dol guldur and laying the pits bare so 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 he so he did keep some of the power of magic into into the lord of the rings for certain very very rare instances, but uh, not not the whole fairy tale ish aspect of it. I had never thought about that. That is a really neat parallel, huh? Okay, wow. I, okay, yeah. 
I mean, that makes sense. I hadn't right because yeah, they're they're both Noldor and well, she's not Noldor, but they're both elves and uh, uh, they have that power. Huh. Hmm. I like that. Um, so at this point, they bury Felagun on the hilltop. She comes. Um, he comes out of the pits of despair. They bury Felagund. And the wait, green, wait, green, wait, wait! Don't you mean she then gives Felagund's body to Galadriel to weep over for the next thousand years? Because that's what I saw in the Rings of Power. Stop it! <laughs> yeah. After, if we, if we... Sauron took time to cut a, a map onto his. <laughs> if we could, if we could back up slightly and and try to ignore the Rings of Power for a second, it's interesting to me that what Sauron is afraid of is that he's kind of like a Pac-Man ghost. Is that if, if, if he gets eaten, he loses his little body and he goes back into like little holding cell, <laughs> like eyeballs. Yeah, so he's just on, and, and is that is and is that what happens in the in the between the second age and the third age when the the, the final battle and Elendil takes the ring or Isildur takes the ring? Is that what happens to him? Is that he loses his physical form and he basically becomes this ghost that's trapped, and he he's he's forever trying to figure out some way to come back um between the second age and third age well like at some at some point sauron gets defeated yeah. and the ring is cut from his hand mm -hmm. and then like and then from then on he's just like a ghost right he's not well like, physically present but he is able to reform himself so so here's i, I really like your question dan because here's what i makes me think about it. i hadn't thought about this until you said it this encounter where where sauron is defeated by luthien and huon has to be front like one of the defining defeats of his life like it's the mm -hmm. one of the, the, the it's a personal defeat and what's the what is the defining moment of that defeat luthien threatens to strip him forever of his form so that he can never reform and have a body so now fast forward a few thousand years what does sauron do after morgoth's gone and he's the new dark lord he forges a ring which will ensure that if he's ever stripped of his body, he can always come back to Middle-earth and reform a new body, albeit very slowly. Mm. So he puts some of his power, enough, a substantial amount of his power, into the ring so that there's always an anchor to Middle-earth drawing his spirit back and allowing him to slowly reform, which is what he does in Dol Guld, where he becomes the necromancer slowly over time and then, and then reveals himself as Sauron once enough time has passed. Takes him a long time, but the ring does what it's supposed to. And I think you could read the ring as a kind of coping answer to this personal defeat that we just read about um, at the hands of Luthien. Hmm. Hmm. So he needs some sort of physical tie to Middle Earth. I mean, the ring is has part of himself in it. That's yeah, why he's yeah. able to come back to Middle Earth. Uh, that's stated uh, in a no, variety of different yes, ways. Right, yes. He yeah. doesn't want to go back to the Pac-Man holding cell. No, the Pac-Man holding cell, which is where Morgoth eventually ends up, is like um, <laughs> Morgoth's just this big set of eyes that never gets to reform in the timeless void sitting there. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome, Dan. Yes, the timeless void as the Pac-Man holding cell. This is it. Songs, <laughs> is... songs are like the big power pellets of Middle Earth. And that also reminded me, so like uh, when... Um, in Lord of the Rings, when Saruman is finally killed, there's a there's a text in there where it says that like his his spirit kind of rises like a cloud and it looks west, mm -hmm. and then it ha it turns around because it can't go that way. Well, the wind and blows it, it away. Yeah, the wind blows it away, but like he, it, it 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 looks like it's longing to go to the blessed realm. Absolutely, and yes. it can't. So it's like I wonder what the, that's what Sauron's worried about. Like he he would lose his body. 
and he would just float as like this spirit that can't find rest anywhere. Yep. That would make sense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should have cut this uh, episode into six parts and not three. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving too, on there's I'm too gonna, much i'm too gonna much. move us on Sorry. from this here so uh at this point <clears throat> baron and baron and, and tenuvial went free again uh and we learned that in nargothrond the folks they they lamented that felagund was no longer their king so they essentially cast out kilogorm and kurufin they take on oradreth as their new king because i guess uh well because i guess they know at this point yeah that felagund is no longer alive they would have known that at this point um <clears throat> And again, I love the line, uh, let it be so when, when they cast him out, says Kur, said Kelgorm, and there was a light of menace in his eyes, but Kurufin smiled. I'm like, again, oh, the smile. Kurufin, like whoever. <laughs> in, this, in, the, in the movie, they make of this at some point, the, the smile of Kurufin is going to have to be there. Yeah, they're going to have to come up with someone with a really good smile, like a, like a Willem Dafoe smile, but an elvish <laughs> Willem Dafoe. <laughs> that would be scary. Uh, so, so with that, they, they leave, um, they are reputed, and Huon still follows Kelligorm, surprisingly, after all that. Again, he's, he, but you know what's funny is it says that the, yet their love, <laughs> but Huon, being faithful, went back to Kelligorm as master, yet their love was less than before. <laughs> really? Like right, right after he freed them from, <laughs> freed Luthien from that captivity. <laughs> Who could think? It, it, it makes you wonder if Kelgram was kind of like, Huan, you're still, you're still here, huh? That makes me really uncomfortable. He's <laughs> following yeah, you me could, around. He's like, oh, that's actually over true. His shoulder. You could read it that way. It's like, yeah. hey, why? But wait, you chose your side, and now you're back, and you're just yeah. watching me. What, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> so, so we transition in this whole second part of the chapter that we've been reading. From to go back to the beginning, we 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 started with um, rap, a rap battle, and then from rap battling we transitioned to Rapunzel story, and then from Rapunzel, um, you know, some sort of torture, um, <laughs> torture, show. torture horse or torture porn of some kind, <laughs> um, sadistic, uh, you know, mm -hmm. getting eaten slowly by werewolves, and then straight up action sequence, magic battle, all kinds of epic sort of, I mean, just, just, I mean, straight up, straight out of something from Dungeons and Dragons. And then we've come back and we, we finish, or at least we finish this part with a WWF scene. This is my favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's like, just, it's like, look, it's like, Jonathan, I'm trying to connect to our modern, wait, that wasn't modern. That was kind no, of Gen no, X no, reference, no, no. but. It's like Peter Jackson's Legolas when he like mounts oh, the oh, mounts the horse by like running and them fighting words wrapping around the horse. Look, look, we know that you can actually leap like probably like twenty feet sideways with one jump. <laughs> because I mean, when you do, you you get a title. It's called the Leap of Baron. The Leap of Baron. So anyway, for our read, for our listeners, basically. Um, magically or not so magically oh. Kurafin and Kelegorm's path crosses with um with Baron and Luthien and um Baron and Luthien don't notice them and they come running down and actually um Kelegorm was going to um, ride down Baron let me let's read the passage then Kelegorm turned his horse and spurred it upon Baron purposing to ride him down but Kurafin swerving stooped and lifted Luthien to his saddle for he was a strong and cunning horseman so you got to imagine they're Baron and Luthien are walking nearby, and Kurufin reaches them first, grabs Luthien, swings him up onto his saddle, swings her up onto his saddle, 
and he's and his horse is like blasting past. And then Baron, who's being about to be trampled by Kelligorm, does this sideways leap that Bruce Lee would be proud of, <laughs> calling called ever after the leap of Baron. Then Baron sprang from before Kelligorm, so he's in front of Kelligorm, full upon the speeding horse of Kurufian that had already so this is a horse that had passed him by. And the leap of Baron is renowned among men and elves. He took Kurufin by the throat from behind and hurled him backwards, and they fell to the ground together. So I'm thinking about the phys- like the mechanics of this. So the horse has passed him by. It's got Luthien. He leaps sideways, and he grabs Kurufin by the throat and takes him off the saddle, right? So what we're talking about here is a, cl- a flying clothesline is what it is. Because <laughs> his arm goes out, and he's, he's doing this massive jump, Spider-Man jump, Flying clothesline takes Kurufin off of his horse by the throat, it says. So that's a clothesline. And uh, they go to the ground together, and then he starts throttling him. So this is just WWF right now. This is, this is all. This is, that's, that's what we got here. He's choking him out. Except it's real. WWF. <laughs> Not real. <laughs> Lots of that. Because yeah. death was near him. Kilgorn came. He, he, he shot an arrow that uh, was caught in Huan's mouth. Yes, who uh, does the mouth arrow catch thing? Yep, far better. Anyway, I won't say it. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then he shoots Baron. It, it, it uh, strikes Baron in the chest, um, and Kelligorm, um, uh leaves, and Huan goes after him. Now that you actually jumped to the end, oh, there was I did. a mi- you're right. There's you're a middle right. part. Yeah. So Kel- so Baron is going to um, throttle um, Kurafian. Kelligorm curses. He, there's a lot of cursing by the elves in this one. Um, they, they keep cursing. <laughs> kind of like in uh, Home Alone. And he's going to kill Baron, but Huan won't let him. So Huan is staring down the horse, and the horse won't go near mm-hmm. Huan. And so Kelligorm's useless. And so um, Kurofin's going to die by throttling death, by, by sleeper hold. From, and, and, uh, and then, but Luthien saves his life and prevents Baron from killing him. But Baron despoiled him of his gear and weapons and took his knife angriest. That knife, that will make, which will make a, a key appearance later on in the story, that knife was made by Telkar of Nagrod and hung sheathless by his side. Iron it would cleave as if it were green wood. Like if you can imagine a knife that can yeah. sort of whittle away iron, iron if you want to. Um, then Baron lifting Kurofin flung him from him and bade him walk now back to his noble kinsfolk who might teach him to turn his valor to worthier use. <laughs> <laughs> Your horse, he said, I keep for the service of Luthien, that it may be accounted happy to be free of such a master. So not beyond a very noble insult following the final WWF move, because when it says, then Baron lifting Kurofin flung him from him, there, you know, Baron and Kurofin are no doubt about the same size. Kurofin may even be taller. So he can't lift up a person the same size up to your shoulders and like just toss him. He clearly does an ultimate warrior thing. He's like yeah. above the head, throwing or under the giant thing. Hulk Hogan, they've all done it. And uh, and and throws throws Kurofin. So and then uh, that's when that, that's when Jonathan. You got to think. You got to think that the. <laughs> the way Kurufin and Kelgorm feel by being bested by a mortal like Baron is probably a pretty deep cut, right? Like yep. when he mm-hmm. says, "Then um, you know, put your valor to worthier use." To have that coming from a mortal man probably like strikes them poorly. Like they, they mm. on the inside, they have got to be writhing in absolute abject anger. Uh, and then he keeps his horse, and Kurufin curses him under his death, and he says, "Go, hes, uh, go, go hence unto a swift and bitter." death because you're mortal um 
Yeah, no, I, I like that. I like that. It's, it, it, it probably means a whole lot more than just a, a, a curse about like, hey, go you, turn your valor t- towards something worthier, but to have it coming from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to think that these curses are are more than just profanity. They have to be. Mm-hmm. They, they have to have that power. I think that's what you were saying, right, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but having and having it coming from a man, though. These mm, that's sons of Feanor, of the ones who who were in Valinor and who burned the ships and, and did all these crazy things to be bested by a single man who leaped and was able to <laughs> clothesline him. Flying, and then the flying clothesline. Yeah, I think yeah. I think about like he's straddling him and he's just like. Bam, 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 like <laughs> yep. left, right, left, right, like throttling him um, because he can't take it anymore. And maybe Luthien comes over and touches him. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so put your validator <laughs> worth your use instead of me. Like, Yeah, he goes from WWF to uh, to nightly insult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so, interesting to me that they uh, that the leap of Baron is renowned among men and elves, but not the body slam of Baron. <laughs> Cause that's the cooler part where he just lifts them up and just throws them. Like, that's awesome. They should have had the, the leap body slam and throttling. <laughs> oh man. It's great. It's great. So anyway, Kurafin, as Jonathan said, points out is really bitter. So he actually fires two arrows at Luthien. He's not, he's not trying to kill Baron. He's trying to kill Luthien, which is yeah. really interesting. Um, I mean, just serious, serious malice and bitterness going on. And um, so Huan does the arrow catch with the hand, with the jaws, like, you know, a long time before any anyone from Hollywood thought of such a thing, and and then uh, Baron catches the second arrow with his chest, like all the good Russian bullet stoppers of World War One and Two. So so he goes down, and Huan chases off the elves, but then they he comes back with herbs from the forest, with which um, Luthien heals Baron, and then Baron repays her by leaving her, deserting her. <laughs> But he's doing it, of course, because he loves her, doesn't want her to die, and he knows he has to go and try to get the Silmaril from Morgoth. Does he knows not how? Yeah, yeah. I, I found uh, this part interesting, um, where I think I wrote it down too, where they're they're finally reunited, and they're they're out of they're out of danger, and like Luthien has kind of like communicated to Baron that no matter what you choose, like it's, it's up to you to choose either. Is this for the point where um, it's like, you can keep your oath and face, you know, probably certain death, or we can be just wanderers on the earth, but either way I'm with you. Um, I thought that was just like a really beautiful moment that like for her, it was like, like I, I know for Baron Luthien, just the, just the fact that Luthien exists, that, that justifies like all of creation to him. He's like, this like the, Everything, everything. If everything happens for a reason, it's to it's to have Luthien be here. Mm-hmm. And for Luthien, it's like no matter what what you do, what you are, what you choose to become, like I'm going to I'm going to stay with you. And I thought that was really beautiful. And that's why that's the only reason why Baron has to leave. Yeah, uh, because he can't bear the thought of her dying. He can't because he knows essentially he's he and to hold his oath, he must go to something that is almost assuredly his death. And to have Luthien with him means that he would be bringing her along to that. And so he chooses not to. He chooses to depart while she yet slept upon the grass. Uh, but the, but Huan knows he's left, right? He commits Huan to her, to her care, and then Huan, being the uh, the single-minded individual that he is, and doesn't actually listen to other people, he decides, nope, nope, I'm going to be okay with uh, with carrying Luthien one more time. But this is after this is after that song that that Baron uh, sang, where he essentially justifies all of creation. Mm-hmm. just by 
the fact that Luthien walks the earth justifies everything in creation, everything that was good and bad, um, and mm-hmm. uh, just for her alone, is it worth it? Hmm. Yeah, very Romeo and Juliet vibe on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, but she heard the song. That's the problem. She, she has great ears like Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Heard, like this whole problem. I, I don't, I don't know that there's a song that she can't hear. Yeah. This is Luthien we're talking about. She is, she is the song mistress. She, uh, there's nothing that she can't do or hear with song. It's kind of like a Legolas's song. Um, they're oh, taking no. the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> so many people here. Uh, Maybe I'll link that below if you haven't seen it. You, it, you please don't. Please don't, oh, man. It's it's better uh, than Rings of Power. Truly, much better. So so she leaves. Huan carries him. Uh, Huan, sorry, Huan carries her. Huan consenting once more to be her seed, born her swiftly hard upon Baron's trail. Uh, and it's at this point that he takes on the ghastly Wolfheim of Draguin. Um, uh, oh, sorry. No, this is Bar- this is Luthien. No, I'm so confused. So the he here is Huan, and uh, mm-hmm. so Huan and and uh, uh, Luthien, right? Is that, am I am I reading this right? They take on the ghastly Wolfheim of Dragolin and the Batfell of Thuringwethel. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they're able to essentially uh, see their approach, or Baron sees their approach. He's dismayed. He thinks, "Oh crap! What's coming for? What's coming for me now?" Uh, but 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 uh, he wondered for he heard the voice of Tenuviel. Um, thinking that she was a phantom, that what he heard wasn't actually her, thinking that right. uh, she was moving forward. But now she's joining him, and he's like, "Oh no, you're 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 with me." Like it didn't work. He's happy for a time, and then is sad again. And here is uh, Ted Naismith's excellent painting of Thuringwethel, the yeah. form of Thuringwethel oh, and Drowgluin. Drow- like hmm. So these remember. For Tolkien, these are not half man, half bat vampires, and half man, half wolf werewolves. These are full. These are full. Person. They are full. Yep, they are full. Huge bats and full huge wolves. Hmm. Hmm. And this is the first mention that we have of that uh, Thuringwethel, Thuringwethel, yeah. which is like I guess like almost Sauron's girlfriend. <laughs> well, he is. He's a. He, she's a messenger of his. She's a messenger. Um, yeah, and she's the chief amongst his vampires. And there's other places where where there's um, where there's fragments of what he wrote about Thuringwethel. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, one could no doubt in this in the age of Game of Thrones, one could one could imagine <laughs> um, sure her, her being his girlfriend. But no, it's um, it's more it's it's she's just his, one of his servants. Like he yeah. loves playing around with the forcing of evil spirits into into an, uh, monstrous animals, which. Hmm. Um, that's the that's the origin of the vampires and the in in Middle Earth, hmm. not the bleeding throat vampire, but the vampires of Middle Earth are these massive bats um, with evil spirits in them. I like uh, this is the second time then right after this that Huan speaks and he makes the point that you know what and boy does he speak yeah Luth- no matter what you choose Luthien will die essentially is what he's saying. Yep. Uh, if you will not deny your doom, then either Luthien being forsaken must assuredly die alone, or she must with you challenge the fate that lies before you, hopeless yet not certain. So it's a it's mm. a dumb and dumber moment of like if you go to Morgoth, 
there's a chance. So you're saying? telling me there's a yeah. chance. <laughs> right? Otherwise, if you if if she doesn't come with you, there's no chance. She's gone. Mm. She she will die alone. Right. She will die unhappy. And at least with you, she has a purpose to be with you, to love you, to mm. see your oath through. Now, I might I might be misremembering things, but I, I know the movie is Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings is obviously different than Tolkien, but it almost seems like he takes Baron and Luthien and makes that into Arwen and Aragorn in the movies where it's like she, her life force is leaving her and she has to stick with Aragorn. Or, you know, she's going to die either way. Is that, is that's not explicit in Tolkien. Is it the, the between Aragorn and Arwen? It almost seems like that's more true here in Baron and Luthien that it's like, it's her fate is decided that she's decided to love you and her life is with you either way. Yeah. So are you asking whether, because Baron and Luthien are the, the, the foreshadowing or the, they are the, um, sorry, um, Aragorn and Arwen are a type of Baron and Luthien for, right, right. for Tolkien. Are you asking whether that's reflected in this hopelessness of death without each other as well? Or what would you uh, ask something else? I, I guess what I was trying to get at was like, in, when I read through Lord of the Rings, I, I didn't find it that explicit between Arwen and Aragorn. And I'm no. wondering if that connection is there too, like that that Arwen, you know, she, she she's given up uh, she's given up her immortality for a mortal life, and and Aragorn has to step up and be the king so that you know he can he can be with her. Well, I think I think there are similarities and there are differences. I don't think that Tolkien's yeah. going to say that Aragorn and Arwen are exactly like Baron and Luthien. Baron and Luthien are clearly a much more the, the hopelessness is much more hopeless and the tragedy and bliss is much more explicit mm -hmm. in, in this tale than it is with Arwen is a very understated character. In fact, she came along yeah. very, she came along very late in his, in the writing of the Lord of the Rings. She was one of the last changes that he made um, to his, his script, the, the, the script, the text. And so he clearly decided very late to have a type of, um, Baron and Luthien in this story of the, of mm -hmm. the Lord of the Rings. So I, I don't think he's going to say that they're, they're exactly the same. And it definitely doesn't make it clear that that's the case. At least I don't, rem okay. I don't remember any, any okay. passages. Yeah. I, I think he, I feel like, man, and this might come. Yeah. The, the, the things that I've read and I've seen, uh, it might be flowing together between Peter Jackson, and what Tolkien wrote. I think he might've been inspired to have Aragorn and Arwen and because of Baron and Luthien, because he didn't know if he would ever be able to tell that story to everybody. So perhaps as a seed, right. Of, of Baron and Luthien planted, this is what sprouted forth mm. in the Lord okay. of the Rings. But I don't, um, the, the playing up of that, you know, Arwen's going to die if like the life is leaving her unless I guess Aragorn loves her. I don't even remember that. I don't. I haven't seen the movies in probably more than a decade. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, yeah. Saying. That part is definitely over played up. That's not in the text. Yeah. Only thing that is in the text is that Arwen. There's this great sadness because she's choosing this life to live with Aragorn. Yes. Yeah. If only she would have had Frodo's mithril coat to wear, she would have been perfectly fine. <laughs> Stop. I mean, it. look, look. It was there all the time. It was like three rooms over from her bedroom in, uh, in Bilbo's bedroom. And there. why didn't like, the Eagles bring it to her? Maybe, maybe that's what. Maybe they would like get Bilbo to fall asleep in the Hall of Fire a lot, and they would oh, go over. Man. They'd go into his room and stroke the <laughs> mithril. Sorry, everybody. We're, we're going to have okay, so many people on. so confused. Anytime, anytime, oh, anytime, okay, again, mithril, the Rings of Power is a big problem, and I'll leave it at that. 
Let's move on. So we're going to move on into the third part of Baron and Luthien. Like I said, this would be a long time. So we're not even going to do an If You Like Tolkien here. So if you like Tolkien, go ahead and keep reading the next part of this chapter. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, so we're ending uh, at the, the, the one break we see where the line here ends, then howling under the moon, he leaped down the hill in the bat wheel and flittered above. And this is where werewolf Baron, uh, uh, Luthien, Draugluin, and... Bat, bat uh, Luthien and Wolf Baron. Yes. Uh, and uh, Huan is no longer with them. So about with... Yes, sorry. I'm reading all these here, and I can't remember who's who and what's what in the paragraphs in front of me. So, uh, and then we're going to read from there to the end of the chapter. We're going to go through the rest of it, finish it off next week, um, and debrief a little bit, I hope. Man, I don't know if we'll have the time. Maybe we'll have to save all that for our, uh, our uh, uh, extended podcast. Uh, and then hopefully, what I want to do is I want to have a live chat with all our patrons uh, and talk about Baron and Luthien. Like, what did they get out of it? You know, what things struck them? Because some of them have read it for the first time, and some are reading it. Uh, you know, for the 10th time again. But I feel like there's every every time there's a little bit more. And I like the whole idea of like, how, how did they feel? Like we asked you, Dan, how did you feel about this here? And it's, it seems the most fairy story kind of mm-hmm. uh, tale in the Silmarillion. And did they get that that same sense? Um, because after, after you know, uh, the Lindale, this here feels not the same in any way, shape or form. However, yeah. that's fine. And that's, that's the way Tolkien wrote it. And I think that's okay. So we're going to move on into that. We are going to actually also move on into our patron uh, uh, section our extended podcast where we're going to talk about a couple things about uh, the Silmarils and and uh, the One Ring and uh, how Tolkien uses words in terms of phrase that uh, we might see are more than they actually mean. So join us there. You can go to theonering.com slash patron. $4 a month, first month is free. I know I say it every week, but in the chance that, you know, the few dozen, 150,000 of you that hear this for the first time, uh, go there, check it out, join us. It's free for a month and then you can just cancel if you don't like it. So... If our conversation is boring in Discord, if our live chats are uh, not what you want to hear or see, because sometimes we have faces made for radio, even though we're on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tactical you, error. You don't have to give us any money for that. But we do enjoy it. Like the, the, the costs associated for it right now are nearly covering all the costs of things like StreamYard and the podcasting and the hosting uh, and all that sort of stuff. So we would love to do more and to get more events in place um, and to do more things like live streams and stuff like that, but we have to be able to justify it with actual like reasons that our family are like, so why are you doing this again? Why are you spending all this time with the podcasting yeah. and it's not doing anything? So anyway, and Dan needs to get his walls, walls repaired in his place. <laughs> stupid floods in California. Yeah. <sighs> Give us <Anyway>. money. <laughs> Give us all your money. And then you get to hear the extended podcast. But yeah. hey, if you don't want it, you know, it's fine. So, or, you anyway, know, keep listening see, to us yeah. for free. Yeah, that's a thing too. That is a thing. Or watch. You could do that. Too. We won't hold it against you. No, just a little bit. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week, and Bye, uh, finish off Baron and Luthien. Yes.